everybody. Welcome to Coach's Corner episode. As you may or may not know, I am currently on maternity leave and all the coaching episodes are fresh coaching episodes that drop Wednesday. I batched a bunch of them, but we thought it'd be fun for Coach's Corner to mix it up a little bit. And one of the things we're doing is airing interviews I've done on other people's podcasts on this show. So you're about to hear someone else interview me. You get to know someone else. You get to know their podcast. Maybe you get to know more about me and we hope you enjoy this interview. So for all the single ladies out there who really want to call in their beloved, their man, their king, their person, their soulmate, I like to say soul match, and you are done with the dating, you're done with the patterns of calling in unavailable people, you're done with the games, you're done with relationships ending, then I highly encourage you to take our Be The Queen course. This course is so close to my heart. I created this course because I got so many questions. How did I call in stuff? How did I go from divorcee to being so single in my 30s, like crickets single, to meeting the love of my life, who happened to live on the other side of the world? Like, how did I do it? It wasn't random. There was a very intentional process I took myself through. I created the process because I got so frustrated with dating coaches I hired, workshops I took, courses I took. Nothing was working and it was making me feel worse about myself, honestly. And so I created this empowering process to really call in the quality of relationship I desired with zero settling. And that's what we teach in Be The Queen. And I teach it with Steph, so you get a man's perspective as well. So it's a course we usually teach live, but we turned it into a recorded course. It's a beautiful course. You get all the benefits. You get to watch the coaching, all the experiential processes, all the the love work we take you through. It is just, oh, it's so exquisite. And we have complete transformation of the women that go through this course. This course is for women calling in a man because that is my experience. All my other courses are for anyone and everyone, but this is just a very niche specific thing. And I know there are a lot of you out there. I know there are a lot of amazing women out there frustrated and really looking to be met in relationship. So as my listener, we are offering you $200 off the course with the promo code over it. Just go to christinehaster.com slash be the queen. Again, christinehaster.com slash be the queen. Go to the checkout page in the promo tab, enter over it, and you get $200 off. I hope you invest in yourself and your future relationship. Seriously, this is the last course you'll need when it comes to calling in your king. It's that extensive. And I know it worked because I found mine. We have the pleasure of having Christine Hassler on the podcast today, who is a master coach, facilitator, and she's been a speaker for over 16 years. She is the best-selling author of three books, most recently, Expectation Hangover, Free Yourself from Your Past, Change Your Present, and Get What You Really Want. And she's a host of the top-rated podcast, Over and On With It, where she coaches people live on the show. And I'm telling you, you're going to want to check this podcast out. She is known globally for her ability to identify what is holding someone back and compassion passionately guide them to clarity. She also works with companies, organizations to increase their productivity and decrease their stress on their employees. She has a master's degree in spiritual psychology and implements elements of NLP, psychology, spirituality, science, and her own diverse life experience into her work. She's been on several networks from the Today Show, CNN, ABC, like you name it. She's been out there and she believes that once we get out of our own way, We can show up to make the meaningful impact we're here to make. And I'm so excited to have her on the show today. Christine, thank you so much for being here. You are such a light. You've been a personal light in my life in guiding Mm -hmm. me through really difficult times and just being there to see me and and you went, it, I went to one of your workshops, which we can dive into more later, but just thank you for being here. Oh, <laughs> well, I love you so much. And you were at some very pivotal moments of my life too, like the first time I met my husband. Uh, so I've always felt a very special connection to you and love your husband and so happy to be here with you both. I appreciate that. And I think, I mean, really early on, um, Jen had gone to one of your workshops, which I know that she's going to, wants to talk about her experience a little bit and just hearing about you and being able to see you and Steph and your early relationship from afar. Like it was very motivating to me too. Cause, cause Jen and I didn't take the traditional, <laughs> traditional quotes route either. And it, it seemed kind of fast. And I, I, I don't know. I feel like I saw that in you too as well, where 
it just happened and it was right and you were both ready. And, and can you talk a little bit to that, how some people will feel those pressures of, oh, this isn't how the relationship's supposed to go? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let's speak to the fast part first. I mean, I'm sure everybody's seen on Instagram successful business people say, I wasn't an overnight success. Yeah, you might have heard of me overnight, but there was 10, 20 years of work that went into that. And I say the same thing about my relationship. Yeah, Steph and I were fast. We got married legally three months after we met. But there was decades of work that we both put in individually to this relationship, even though we didn't know who each other were. We were working on our core issues. We were healing our wounds. We were learning through past relationships. We were going through a heartbreak. We were really intentional about what we wanted to call in. So even it might appear fast in terms of how fast the relationship went, but it wasn't when you look at all the work that went into it prior to that. So that to me, it just felt, it felt right. It felt organic. It felt like this actually isn't fast. I've been calling this in for over a decade. Yeah. It's a great way of putting it. <laughs> it is, but you know, and and still to the outside perspective, like I know when when Dom and I met, and then he moved out to California shortly after, and like everything did stumble through, you know, rather quickly. You still had, or I still had a lot of the outside pressures of like, oh, like it's so quick because it's just your infatuation phase, and it's so quick because you know, oh, just wait, like things are going to get real. And, and you still have these outside perspectives. How did you kind of manage and how do you know the difference between something just being like wrapped up in the moment, this is what I want versus this is what I've called in? Yeah. Great questions in there. So I think there comes a point in everyone's life where you realize how liberating it is not to care what people think or really not to care what they tell you either. I mean, I, I think about anyone that's ever given me advice. Let's say someone's giving me relationship advice. I inside look at their relationship and go, hmm, are they who I want to follow? <laughs> is their relationship amazing? Is the way they do things amazing? Nope. Therefore, their feedback is completely not credible to me. So I really just, and even if maybe the feedback is credible, credible like does it really apply to me? So I think we have so much freedom that comes from really following our own heart and head. I always say to people, open your heart, but don't let your brains fall out. We, we need both. And listening to that internal voice over anything else, because it's really easy to get swept up in those, you know, external pressures, just like it's really easy to get swept up in infatuation. But everybody goes through that phase. Like everybody goes through the infatuation phase. But what was, what was different for my relationship with Steph and how I really knew it was something aligned and not just like something in my head or something I was making up because I really wanted to be in relationship is that there was a distinct difference in the way I felt with him. And I think we can apply this to relationships, to passion, to our passion in terms of our career, to a friendship. We know when something feels aligned. When something feels aligned, our nervous system relaxes. We feel safe. We feel like we can be ourselves. And yes, there in the relationship example, there was that infatuation phase. And we definitely hit, I mean, the shit definitely hit the fan after that phase ended and we had a lot to work through. But what was different about the infatuation phase is I still felt safe. There were the butterflies, but without the dread. There was a sense of calm. There was a sense of, I can be totally me. I'm not trying to be someone else. I'm not trying to contort myself into what I think he needs me to be. I don't feel self-conscious. And that was the difference for me. So even though there was the hormonal infatuation that I had in other relationships, what was different is I felt safe and I felt like I could be me. And that's how I knew, wait, this is, this is different. This is actually something that's aligned and not something I'm just wanting to be true. That's something that I actually, I feel like I look at my, like, say I have a friend who is bringing a new person around. I'm always looking at my friend. How are you acting? Are you yourself? And can you show, can you feel like you can show up yourself? Because that's how I know, you know, exactly like you're saying, do you feel safe being around this person, being fully who you are? Exactly. Exactly. Because I think so many of us in relationships, we, we, be who we think the person needs to be. We all have all these stories and all these patterns that are mostly subconscious 
that are programmed in about what we need to do and who we need to be in order to be loved and accepted. And a lot of us actually don't really even know what being truly loved feels like. We know what it feels like to be accepted. We know what it feels like to be validated. We know what it feels like when someone's proud of us for our achievement. But unfortunately, and I think this is changing, unfortunately, a lot of people were raised with what felt like conditional love. Like I get, I get love and acceptance and approval when I fill in the blank. And so when we can truly be with someone that loves all parts of us and sees, and first we have to show all parts of us. Like when we feel comfortable enough to be like, okay, here's all of me, the good, the bad, the ugly, however we want to phrase it. And it, we, like, we need that level of vulnerability to actually experience true love. And so many of us are so guarded because we've been hurt. We don't want to have that level of vulnerability. We don't want to have that level of rawness, of real emotional transparency. And so we miss out on deep, really true love because we're, even though we want to be seen, we're so afraid to be seen. And we keep our masks on and we keep our protective strategies up and we end up in relationships that are good enough, that look good on paper, that are quote unquote compatible, but aren't really deeply emotionally intimate and vulnerable. And I think that's why so many people get frustrated in relationships and doubt their relationships or aren't in a relationship because they're, they're scared of that level of emotional rawness because we've been hurt before. Mm, that's so true. And you know, I, I appreciate how you, you kind of quickly said it, but you said, you know, as, as you two got through that infatuation stage, like, oh yeah, shit hit the fan and we had some mm-hmm. stuff to work through and not just some I, I mean, stuff, <laughs> stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. but like, I, I think it's important to realize that no matter again, how like perfect or amazing you felt the relationship was like, it's not always going to be easy. And there's always, there's still going to be things to work through. And I, I think that with my experience with Jen, the, the thing that I always felt that I, I don't think I ever felt before was, okay, wh- whatever does come up, like, we'll be good. Like, I, and I just always feel that. I'm like, whatever comes up between us, like, we'll be good. And we'll work together through it. And we'll stand side by side and, and conquer this thing because of the work that she's done and, and that I've done and that we continue to encourage each other to do. Like, I, I just know that we'll show up and, and do that. And so I, I think that when you find yourself in a place where like, yeah, you've done the work and you show all that emotional vulnerability up front. Like that was what did it for me. I'm like, okay, I I feel like no matter what comes up, we'll do it together. Exactly. Steph and I had a, um, a gesture and he came up with this of just putting our arm up in the air with our fists closed. And whenever we were in, and that gesture meant like, we're always going to rise above this and we're together. Like we're in this together. And whenever we were in a really heated argument or just at each other, one of us would remember to do that. And that was just that, li- that reminder of exactly, Don, what you're saying of, yeah, we're working through something and we're on the same team and we're going to get to the other side of this. Like there's no question that this is going to break us up or this is going to end us. And when you have that level of safety and certainty and commitment in your relationship, you can fight so much more effectively. You know, you can really go for it and clear stuff up quickly. I mean, we, let's see, we got, we met in July, got married in October. Right after we got married legally, that month, October through mid-November, we were fighting like siblings. We were just like, everything was coming up. But because we had that arm in the air, commitment to each other, we just, we just went for it everything that needed to come up, we, we weren't afraid of it. We dove right in and we haven't had like that kind, those kind of arguments and that kind of challenge ever since. Yes, we have disagreements. Yes, we have fights from time to time, but one, we're not fighting about the same thing anymore. And two, the time between our arguments gets a lot longer and the time spent in the argument before we repair gets a lot shorter. And so I think when you have that level of deep commitment that, that you and Jen have and that Steph and I have, you can fight more effectively and get to the raw nitty gritty quicker (laughs) so that you're not carrying around resentments for years and years and years because you're afraid to really poke the bear because you don't want to end the relationship. So how does healthy fighting, like what does that look like? How often is it happening? Can we define that? Because I think that's what, you know, a lot of people tend to do. Well, they look perfect and this is, you know, you start to compare yourself. Mm -hmm. 
and and wonder what is healthy. Well, every, you know, I don't think there's a way to totally quantify it, but one thing that we recommend for for couples is to create argument agreements. So after Steph and I had our rough patch, we sat down and we're like, okay, let's look at how we argue. Let's look at how we fight. Where are my low blows? Where are yours? What really scares me? What pushes you away? Because in our pattern, he's like the stonewaller withdrawler. He'll just shut down and move away. Or he's the really big reactor, the yeller, the punch the wall. And I'm the run to the closet and cry really loudly, hoping he'll come find me. Or the just like retreat and repress and hold all my emotions in and then do a passive aggressive comment weeks later. So we, we're we very familiar with our patterns and we're very familiar with like what sets each of us off in arguments. So we created argument agreements. So one of the argument agreements that we created was like neither one of us could just walk out of the room and leave unless there was an agreement of I need some space. I'm going to say some stuff I don't really mean. I'm going for a walk. I'll be back in an hour. That was totally fine, but just storming out of the room, like not okay. Not okay for him to storm out of the room to leave. Not okay for me to storm out of the room and go cry somewhere. So that was one of our argument agreements. Another argument agreements was like if he hit the wall or made a loud sound, that would bring up my childhood trauma. And that was really scary for me. So punch the air, punch a pillow, fine. But doing something really loud and really jarring that was one of the things we agreed, you know, not to do. And so we just went through, we just evaluated our arguments and went through, okay, what are the agreements? What are the things we're not going to do in an argument? Did we stick to it perfectly at first? No. But over time we really did because again, it made our arguments more productive. Because again, fighting can be productive because it's, it's, it's like popping a zit in the relationship. I don't know why that metaphor came in, but it's like, you got to get the crap out. And if we just hold stuff in, you know, and I'd love to say, oh, we're in this total conscious relationship where when we have a disagreement, we sit and we hold the talking stick and we calmly express ourselves. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) We're we're both passionate people. We both can be stubborn. We got married later in life. So we have a lot of like doing it our own way kind of stuff. And so that, you know, sometimes we can do that for sure. But sometimes we just like, rah, need to rah, get it out. And by having those agreements, it's keeping us from going into unhealthy patterns. You know, another thing that's in our argument agreements is we don't use words like you always or you never. That, that's, that's a no. We don't bring up stuff from the past that we've already agreed we resolved. And so these make our fights healthier because then we're not looping. We're not pulling ourselves into unhealthy behaviors and patterns. And we both know when we stick to those agreements, we're going to get to resolution faster. Because John Gottman, who's one of the the leading researchers and teachers of relationships and marriage, and he studied marriages for years and years and years. And one of his conclusions was, we don't evaluate relationships by how often a couple argues. It's more about how quickly they repair and how well they repair. And so if you're arguing in your relationship, that's not a red flag. It's a red flag if you're not repairing and if you're arguing about the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah, you're going to have similar things. Like there are similar things that drive me crazy about Steph and similar things that, you know, I do that drive him crazy um, that sort of come back around that are like our, you know, the, the opposites attract part of us that we just have to like live with and deal with. But for the most part, we're not, we're not arguing about the same thing over and over and over again. So each argument moves us forward. And I think all of us have to, when we're thinking about arguments too, and this was conversation Steph and I had is, what did we see from our parents? Because like both of us as kids, when our parents argued, that was not a good sign. And that did not go well. And both of us felt like as a child, we had to help and fix, and it was really scary, and were our parents going to get divorced? And especially for Steph, it got very loud and very violent. Um, And so we had to unpack that a little bit and be like, okay, we're not our parents. This isn't, we're not children. Like our arguments are actually helping us grow and evolve in our relationship. And so we don't need to be scared of them. Yeah, totally. Um, I I really like, that line that you said, it's not about how often 
we argue, it's about how quickly and effectively we repair. And Jen, I'm just thinking, we got to write down some relation or some argument agreements. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> this is good. This I'm is like, really good. Write, write that, no, make a note on that. Um, I, I also want to ask you a question because I know, again, just some of the stuff I know about you and I've heard of the work that you do more specifically with women is about feeling feelings and how important it is to to feel those feelings and healthy ways to do that. And like you said, sometimes feelings will come up when you're in the heat of an argument or something like that. And it might not be the best or most healthy way to express or feel that feeling. And so can you talk a little bit about what it means to, you know, healthfully feel your feelings and, and release that? Yeah. And this is such a big one because most of us really don't know how to release our feelings. We know how to repress them or recycle them. So we repress our feelings when we just don't show them. You know, when we get really upset and we're like, it's fine, it's fine, like, it's fine, I'm not upset, like, whatever. Or we get really angry and for whatever reason we don't express it and we just hold it in and we just harbor it and we just, you know, create dis-ease and disease in the body by repressing our feelings. The other thing we do is we recycle them. So we might express them. We might have a good cry or speak our anger, but it's it's with judgment and analysis. So most people cry and while they're crying, it's why is this happening? I was so stupid or why is it? they either go into self-blame or victim. Like this is happening to me or this is my fault or when is this going to be over or this is so awful or why didn't I see this coming or how do I make it better? And so what that does is recycle emotion because when feelings are feel judged or analyzed or evaluated as they're coming up and out, they just go right back in. All the judgment does is just put them right back in. So there's no release. So the way to feel feelings and actually release them and move them through is with complete presence and zero judgment. So imagine a child having a temper tantrum. If you let a child have their temper tantrum and don't interrupt them, just let them get mad, let them get super angry and red and they're, ah, and then they start sobbing and then they start whimpering and then they kind of do the, <gasps> as they're calming themselves down and then they maybe rock a little bit and then they're fine. They really ride the wave of the whole feeling and the emotional expression. And while they're doing that, they're so in the process of it. They're not thinking, oh, I really look stupid when I cry, or I really should figure this out. There's no judgment or analysis going on. They're just moving through the emotion. And so when they're done with a temper tantrum, they're fine. Like it's, it's over. It's out of their body. They've released it. And because as children, we were told, be a good girl. Boys don't cry. You're being too loud. Or we're shamed for our feelings, or mom or dad comes in and rescues us. No, 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 don't be sad. It's okay. I've got you. I've got you. That's another way we get repressed. And it 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 seems like, oh, mom's soothing me. She's calming me down. What would be better if mom was like, it's okay, let it out. I'm right here with you. You're sad. Yeah, I see you're sad. You be sad as long as you I'm here. Get it out. That's way better than calm down. It's okay. I got you. But because parents are so uncomfortable with their own feelings, they oftentimes have a very difficult time seeing their child, quote unquote, suffer when really their child needs to, quote unquote, suffer. But what they're really doing is they're moving through their feelings and they're releasing it. Now, I'm not saying don't comfort a child. Please don't hear that, anyone. Like it's very important to comfort a child, but it can be just as comforting to say, I am here. Let it out. You need to yell. It's okay. You need to cry. It's okay. I'm, I'm here. And then as the, after they release the feeling and move through it, then you can hug them and nurture them and, and comfort them in that way. But when we, rest in, when we rush into over-soothe, we're interrupting the process. And so, so many of us got interrupted either by over-soothing or shaming or strict parents or living in an emotionally shut down house or living in an emotionally chaotic house where we didn't want to add to the chaos. So we just sucked everything inside. So here we are as grown adults completely unequipped to actually feel our feelings. And so we just end up repressing and recycling. So when I teach people how to feel their feelings, it's really about turning off the judgment, turning off the analysis, 
turning about off the shoulda, coulda, woulda, or I wish this would be different and allowing it just to move through. And for women, especially a feeling that women really don't allow themselves to feel fully is anger and even more specifically rage. And it leaks out as irritability, as being controlling, as being a little depressed, um, being a little snippy. But I, you know, I've facilitated women's retreats since 2006 and I've always incorporated an anger burn, like not just catharsis because a lot of emotional workshops kind of just teach you to scream and let it out and run. And that's great. It's an, it's an okay release, but a true anger burn is when you're like really tuning in to the things that really piss you off and you're using words and you're using emotions. I'm angry because I'm embarrassed because I'm sad because I'm pissed off because, and you're moving your body and you're maybe hitting the pillow and you're using your voice and you're using your words and you get all that out. And anger burns aren't at someone else. (laughs) So it isn't like I'm mad at Steph and I'm going to go scream at him and hit him with a pillow. I do my anger burn in my own privacy, get it out, and then I can go express to him. So I'm not projecting my anger on him. I'm feeling my feelings first and then I can express to them, to him. And you know, that's the other thing about feeling our feelings. When we aren't feeling them, it's really hard to communicate because what will happen is we'll be really charged, we'll be really triggered. We haven't felt our feelings in a healthy way with compassion, allowing ourselves to ride the wave all the way through, using our voice, really getting to the core of why we're upset and just being there for ourselves, really holding space for ourselves when we're feeling feelings. Since we, we, we don't do that, and then we go into a conversation with someone we're triggered by, and we just project all over them, and they can't hear us because we're so charged. So that's another reason why feeling our feelings is important, because when we handle it and feel them, we're so much better in expressing and communicating our feelings. So that was just a lot. No, <laughs> but it's so good. <laughs> So good. And I can attest to that anger burn because I was at <laughs> your workshop and it was like, and I have done personal development workshops. I've done the catharsis, as you said. And I felt like, you know, a lot of it being there, I was like, yes, this is great reminders. I've done this. And then you mentioned rage, the, what we were going to do. And I, even just sitting there as you were describing what the process was about to be. I could literally feel the blood like coming up (laughs) through my body and then emotions start to come to the surface. And I was like, oh my goodness, I have no, I had no idea how much I needed something like that. And then going through that process, which you which you perfectly described is so different than it than other personal development programs that it's just about screaming. And sometimes I feel like in those programs too, it's like, who could be the loudest? And I'm just like, not, not about the competition here. And, and with your process, you turn the music up so loud, you allow the women and it's all women. Right. And so you feel very safe in that space. And I could just remember like, literally feeling as if energy was flowing through my arms as I was screaming and yelling and hitting and um, just the the amount of release that I felt after that was instrumental, like Mm. instrumental in my healing process and my journey at the time. And something that I'm now like reminded of, of how energy gets to move through and how that, that those feelings really get to be felt. And I, and I love even from the beginning of what you're talking about with you and Steph, both acknowledging that you, you know how you show up, you know, sometimes in arguments and you know where you go and you want to go hide and, and cry. And he wants to, you know, and a lot of times people are so afraid to even say what their natural state or what they tend to do because there's so much shame around, well, I don't want to say that because maybe it'll come out, but, and you'll see it, but I don't want to acknowledge it because there's judgment. There's shame around my natural response or my natural reaction to things. And I love just how raw and vulnerable that you and Steph present to each other. Like, how do we start to present that within relationship? Mhm mhm. And yeah, exactly. And thank you for sharing that. I love hearing about people's experience at the at the retreat because it's always 
my intention to like really create a release, like a true healing. Because when we really, really release something, we can then get to forgiveness. And there's so much pressure, I think, in the personal development and spiritual community to find the silver lining and to get to forgiveness. And if you can't forgive, then you're not a spiritual person. And it's really, really freaking hard to forgive when you've got rage and shame and deep grief inside you. And so it's, it's, it's way, in my opinion, and in, in 17 years of coaching people and in 20 years of being on my own path, well, really longer than that, I started therapy when I was 11, I, I have found that it's getting through the raw emotions first that actually lead to true forgiveness because otherwise I'm just bypassing. I'm, I'm just bypassing trying to be a good person and trying to get to forgiveness when I'm bypassing the, the emotions. And so tying this into the, what you said about the vulnerability with Steph, the more we can do that for ourselves, the more we can really get to those raw emotions and true forgiveness, the better we are about seeing ourselves and seeing our patterns. It's way easier to be vulnerable with someone else when you've gone to deep, dark places inside yourself, you know, when you've really opened that can of worms or however you want to say it, like you've really gone to those places and you felt your rage and you felt your pain and you felt your grief and you realize, oh, I'm still alive. Like I got through it. I actually felt it. And I do feel a sense of relief. Then it's so much less scary to be seen by somebody else because you've gone to such deep places with yourself that you know that no matter what happens, you got you, you know, you got you, but we have to be willing to go there with ourselves first before we can expect that level of rawness in relationship. Mm. So do you have any like basic things people could start to do? Like say, you know, in, in Jen's example that she said, we often have this self-shame or this voice inside that is constantly being that critic, you know, the, the worst critic of ourselves that we could look for. It's generally just sitting right up in our head. And how do we start to turn down that voice a little bit and you know, do something a little bit more than just positive affirmations or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. If only positive affirmations worked, life would be so much easier. I mean, they're helpful. Don't get me wrong. I'm not dissing positive affirmations, but when our subconscious and our body doesn't believe them, it, it, it doesn't work. So, you know, such a huge part of working with the inner critic is understanding it's a part so we, we have all these different parts of us. Everybody can relate to that. Like there's been times in your life where you've thought, well, part of me feels this and a part of me wants that. And a part of me is excited and a part of me is scared. We, we can understand that we're naturally multiple, not multiple personalities, but we have different parts. The inner critic is a part and it was formed at a very, very young age to help us distinguish right from wrong. What happens for most of us is that our inner critic gets kind of tied into our, our motivation. What I mean by this is most people push themselves forward by being hard on themselves versus are really pulled by their passion, by their vision, by what they love. Most of us are like, okay, well, I want to lose 10 pounds. Um, I, I'm just going to be really hard on myself to do it. Like most people don't go into an exercise program or weight loss program or whatever it may be. I'm just using that as an example because they're like, I love myself. I love my body. And like, I just want to lose this weight. It's more, I hate my body. I, I don't like how I look in the mirror. I'm, I'm a lazy piece of whatever. And that's why I'm doing this. And so that inner critic is what we use to get ourselves to take action. And so we become dependent on the, and this is all a very subconscious process. We become dependent on the inner critic to motivate us. And there's a part of us that's afraid to not have the inner critic because it's like, well, then how will I do stuff? If I'm not hard on myself, I'll just be a lazy bum. I won't get anything done because it's me being hard on myself that gets me to take action. So first we've got to unravel that. We've got to look at, all right, I'm, I'm really dependent on this inner critic because I'm scared if I'm really nice to myself and I, if I really love myself, I won't get anything done. And so many of us outsource our worth, our sense of value, our sense of belonging on our achievements, on what we can get done. 
how many people we can please, how many goals we can attain. So as much as people say, oh, I want to get rid of their inner critic or my inner critic, they don't realize how much part of them thinks they need it. So that's the first part. Second part is we never want to get rid of a part. The more you try to get rid of a part, be it your inner critic, your saboteur, your procrastinator, your people pleaser, the harder it hangs on. Because all of these parts are there to protect us. Like, again, just use the inner critic. The inner critic thinks that it's motivating us to get what we want. The inner critic thinks if I'm harder on me than anyone else could be, that'll protect me from getting hurt. Like, if I'm constantly criticizing myself, I can maybe deflect rejection, external criticism, whatever it may be. So all of these parts that we may call bad, inner critic, procrastinator, people pleaser, whatever, We need to ask, what is their highest intention? Like, how are they really helping me? How are they really protecting me? What are they protecting me from? And when we can see that and work with it, when we hear the voice of the inner critic, we can go, oh, thank you, inner critic. I know you're protecting me from getting hurt. Like, I understand what's happening right here, but I'm good. Like, I'm okay. We're not going to get hurt by these people. Or the inner critic's telling us, you're a lazy bum. You need to get off the couch. You say, oh, hi, inner critic. Thank you for working to motivate me. Could you be a coach instead? Like, what could you say to me that's going to make me feel inspired? And so it's not necessarily about turning down the volume. It's more about having a conversation inside ourselves or out loud with these parts, acknowledging, first thanking them for how they're protecting us, for how they're trying to help us, and then working with them to get the same result. So when I work with my inner critic, it's like, I know she wants to help me move forward in life and I know she wants to motivate me. So I thank her for that and I acknowledge her for that. And I say, hey, could we, could you talk to me more like a coach? Could that work? And that works way better than trying to silence the part. Does that make sense? I love that. I think that's the best way I've ever heard it explained because most people are trying to flip the the script completely or like you said, just turn down the volume and, and replace it with something else. And I've even heard that before um, from someone in the in the you just, you know, talking more in personal development of, you know, if you're angry, just turn on a motivational message. And if you're this, just switch it with this. And I and I think, well, then we're not we're not fully acknowledging all of us. We're not really, you know, embodying all of us. We're just trying to cover it up with something else. And, and that's just huge. But how does someone like you, I mean, you said you can just talk to it, but do you recommend writing? Is this where you recommend getting a coach, going to workshops? Like what, how do we start to really communicate and build that relationship? Well, yeah, all those things, workshop, writing, getting a coach are super helpful, but it's a very simple thing you can do. And I'm basing this off. So there's a great um, work called Internal Family Systems that's parts work. And different parts work has been around for a long time, but I think it was in the 80s that Richard Schwartz came out with Internal Family Systems. Um, And one of the things that is really helpful to do when working with parts is to get to know them. Like to actually, so my inner critic's name is Candy. That's her name. I know what she looks like. I know what color hair she has. I know she's she's very thin and wiry and um, she like wears glasses and she's very, and she just doesn't sound like a candy, right? <laughs> like you'd think a candy looked more like voluptuous and sexy, but not my candy, not my inner critic candy. Um, and I just, I really like gave her, and, and it wasn't like I was making it up. I just felt into what does this inner critic inside me look like? What does it feel like? What's her name? How old is she? Um, and when we get to know these parts, we can start to go, oh, wow, like that's not me. That's a part of me. That's an aspect of me that was kind of created by my psyche to protect me. And the more we can get to know them and name them and know they're part of us, but they're separate, the easier it is to work with. And so that's a super easy tip because it's way easier for me to imagine having a conversation with someone else than imagining having a conversation with myself. It can get confusing in the brain. But when we can name our inner critic, we can see them, we can imagine what they look like, we can see what they're help protecting us from, and we can have these conversations, it helps the, the mind and the brain start to like not collapse with them. Because again, 
we think the inner critic is us. It, it is, but it's not. It's not our most authentic voice. It's just a protector part that comes forward and floods the psyche when we when it thinks it's needed. Again, all these parts that people try to get rid of are are playing super useful roles, like super useful roles. It's kind of like I know, you know, flies may be annoying to people or mosquitoes, but if we got rid of all flies and mosquitoes, it would disrupt the ecosystem. They they have a purpose. And so it's more how do we learn to deal with them versus get rid of them? And how do we respect the purpose that they serve rather than just wanting them to go away? That is huge. And I think that it kind of relates to the way that Dom and I talk about pain even rather than I don't want, like, I can't have this pain. I don't want, like, this is in your body and it's here for a reason. It's good. It's protecting us. So how can we start to build that relationship with pain? Medical system's been trying for years and years to get rid of lives with, you know, pain and yeah. completely eradicate it. And we're learning that that's not a good idea. Yeah, we <laughs> right. need pain. It, need it's it. our right. signal. So right. it's like, it's, it's learning to change that relationship script with it, similar to what exactly what you're doing with the inner critic and, and creating a new identity around it, essentially. I mean, this is, this is brilliant. And, and tools that people can really start to use to identify you know, today. Now, if, if someone is in a spot where they're wanting to call in their person, they're hearing you talk about stuff or us talk about Dom and I, you know, how can they start to, and I know we're, we're coming toward the end, so you might not have a lot of time, but how can they start to say, okay, what do I take in from all this external advice? Who do I start to be in order to call in the one then? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we have a whole program around this because this is the one of the most popular questions I get, especially yes. people that have watched my journey. And for me, what really shifted things for me is when I ditched all the traditional dating advice, all the external things, and I really felt into who do I need to be to call this in? So I think it's really it's really three parts in a, in a very you – know, I'll simplify this as best I can um, – the first part is cleaning out the clutter. So the first part is you've really got to go on, a, have a time when you're not dating anyone and you're not wanting to date anyone. And you're really in this focus period of looking at yourself, looking at your past relationships, clearing out gifts you have, pictures you have, messages you have from past relationships, looking at your relationship with your parents, um, looking at your very first heartbreak that could have been with a parent. You know, a lot of us, like our first heartbreak with a man is, is a lot of, for a lot of women, their first heartbreak with a man is dad and really doing the deep work to release and grieve that. When I was going through my divorce, one of the things that a coach said to me is Christine milk this divorce for all it's worth. And at first I thought he was talking about money. And I'm like, we're not going to court. Like, we're not doing any of that. He's like, no, 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 I'm not talking about money. He's like, this isn't just about this divorce. This is about every breakup, every heartbreak, every interaction you've had with a man. It's all triggered right now. And it's, it's all accessible because, you know, things and pain and trauma get stored in our subconscious. Our subconscious rules 95% of our actions, behaviors, and feelings. Our conscious mind only rules about 5% until we do the deeper work to have a better understanding of our subconscious and more be more in touch with things that we might have forgotten or buried or repressed. But when we're triggered, when we're activated with a breakup, for example, it brings forward all the memories if we allow it, if we really create the space for it, if we don't just try to distract ourselves, numb ourselves, date someone else. You know, if we don't just try to fix it and we really allow ourselves time to grieve and go in and go, okay, what else does this remind me of? What else do I need to process? What else do I need to release? So it's a, the first step is a huge process of cleaning and clearing out and healing because otherwise you're just going to keep attracting the same person with a different face. You're going to keep attracting the same patterns. You're going to keep having the same frustrations in relationship until you really can heal and complete your past because most people attract people from their past versus their vision and where they want to go in their future. And 
And after my divorce, I made a massive commitment of like, I no longer want a wound mate. <laughs> like I no longer want someone that I'm just going to be working out my stuff with. I don't want to attract someone from my past. I don't want my teenager who never felt accepted by the boys and who never felt liked and who always wanted the popular guy to keep dating the charismatic, narcissistic kind of men who aren't emotionally available because my 14-year-old is still looking for that popular guy to love her. You know, that's just one example of like we tend to pick and be attracted to people based on our unresolved issues. So if you really want a relationship that's based on your values, your vision, and where you want to go, you've got to clean out the past. So that's the first part. The second part is really getting clear on like who you are. Like when I'm teaching women, a big thing we talk about is their feminine energy, what that really means to them. What masks have they put on? Who have they tried to be or think they they need to be and really coming into this confidence. And to me, confidence is radical self-acceptance of who I am right now in this moment. That's, that's confidence. And so really going into that place of falling in love with yourself. And you often have to clear the past out and clear the clutter out before you can really get to that place of falling in love with yourself. Because until we heal and clear the past, we still have judgments about ourselves, about that relationship was a failure, that didn't work, or this person hurt me, or whatever. When we can really clear all that out, we can get to this place of true self-love and self-acceptance and really step into either a healthy feminine or masculine energy and think about polarity and think about what we want to draw in. And then the last part is really the action part of, of coming up with, you know, first of all, like what we truly want, what are our non-negotiables? And when I say non-negotiables, I'm not talking about, well, need to be this tall, need to make this much money, need to like work out three times a week. It's more, how do I want to feel in relationship? So one of my non-negotiables is I wanted to feel like fully expressed in how much growth and consciousness and personal development matters to me. Like that's a number one value and I need someone that has that value. And getting clear on just like three to five of them. Like I think some people when they make their list or they do their non-negotiables, they <laughs> make such a long list and it can be overwhelming. And it's like, no, what really, really matters to you? And then come up with your own, your own kind of dating guidelines. One of the things that really was hard for me in dating is I'd get so frustrated that it would make me lose momentum and lose faith. For example, I would get all dressed, you know, I'd do my hair and makeup which is, you know, an hour process, mostly because of my hair. <laughs> it takes so long to blow dry. It's so frustrating. And I'd show up on this date and I'd know within three seconds that it wasn't a fit. And it's because I was doing what people do. I was dating on apps and agreeing to dates via text without ever talking to the person. So I created a dating guideline. I do not meet someone in person unless we have a phone conversation. Because I know I'm an auditory learner and I'm like, I can hear someone's voice and have a conversation and know immediately if it's worth me blow drying my hair. And once I made that dating guideline, oh, dating became so much less frustrating because by the time I'd go on a date with someone, there was actually excitement there. So that's just a small example, but it's those, those action steps. And the final thing I'll say, and again, there's so much more to say, but the, the final thing that's really important to say is learning how to balance longing and desire without lack. So what I mean by that is in times in my life where I was single and I'm like, I don't care. I'm independent. If he comes, he comes. If he doesn't, he doesn't. I have a great life. It was crickets in my dating life because I wasn't broadcasting. I wasn't putting out the energetic signal that, hey, I want this. I wasn't owning my desire. I was like, whatever, I'm fine but I wasn't like, I really wanted a relationship, but I was trying to be quote unquote unattached and things really shifted for me when I, oh, well, and then just the opposite of that were in times when I was like, I really want a relationship. I hate being alone. I can't go to another wedding or another holiday, you know, alone. And I was in the lack, I was in the wanting, but paying so much attention to what was missing. And what shifted things for me is when I was able to have the longing and have the desire and have so much faith that it was coming, that the longing and the desire felt good. It felt juicy. It felt like, oh, this is coming. This is amazing. This is already here. 
There was no lack there. There was no suffering there. And so when we can learn to have the longing, so we're still broadcasting it without the lack of the suffering and the paying attention to it's not there, then we're in alignment with really calling it in. Mm, oh, that was all so great. I really hope that people listen to catch that last, you know, five minutes because so many important things in there. And like you said, you have courses on a lot of this stuff. You you put out so much more information. We're just scratching the surface here. So is there somewhere that people can go to easily learn more from you or even sign up for some of these courses? Sure. Well, my website, christinehasler.com is a great place to go. Um, a lot of the courses we teach there's, there's some evergreen ones and then there's some that we teach live. So the best way to stay in touch with me is to head over and listen to my podcast over it and on with it where I, I coach people live on the great air. Great pod. Great pod. <laughs> Thank you. And a lot of the stuff we talked about, releasing feelings, dating, like all this stuff, it's, it's I think, easier to kind of get it when you hear someone experientially going through it. So if you've ever been, wanted to be on a, a fly on the wall in a therapy or coaching session – um, head on over and listen to over it and on with it. And I talk about workshops and things we're offering always on the podcast. Such truly such a good podcast. I love listening to your podcast oh, and thank you. I that, love doing that it. one. That is one that is on, on my deck, <laughs> you know, in order to be able to get the wisdom of nuggets from you. I mean, just everything you shared, it's something that Dom and I are continuously always, you know, working on. And it's so funny because we did have our five non-negotiables that we asked each other about. And, and it just, you know, everything you're hitting on, it's, I feel very aligned with, and I'm very grateful to just know you, to have you drop this information here for so many others. And in the way that you're able to educate people on this in order to start to see themselves and feel themselves is, is truly so incredible. You, you are one of, I mean, you're just a master at what you do, Christine. I, you're a real human. (laughs) You are in it. You're not afraid to say that. And, and you're helping so, so many people. And I'm just beyond grateful for everything you do. Oh, well, thank you. You you both are masters as well. And I'm just so grateful for your friendship and so happy for both of you. It's been such a delight to me to watch your journey of falling in love and creating a business and everything that you're doing together. It just it it just fills my heart with joy. Thank you. Thank you. And we are so excited for you too. Um, cause you guys are kind of on the doorstep of parenthood. And yes. I just, I always say, I love when good humans, you know, bring another human into the world. And I am confident that, that you two are going to do everything you can to, to, yeah, make another amazing human for the, for the human team. So. So excited for it you too. It was funny when we were talking about women and doing anger burn, she started kicking like, yeah, get it. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So fun. She's ready. She's like, I second that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I love that. Well, thank you, Christine. Again, everyone go check out her podcast. Check out.